Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast presented by Reuters and also this episode of the College Esports Quick Take. Each week we want to interview people who are doing really interesting work in the collegiate esports world and this is one of those podcasts but we're also cross-publishing on the main esports network feed as well. Today, I'm talking to Bassem, but he's known as Bear UNLV Online. He's a graduate of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, as you may have guessed, and he's currently in charge of business development for Smash.gg. He's been an active member of the Smash community for a very long time, but recently has been making a ton of waves in competitive Mario Kart, including being featured on ESPN's social media for his absolutely absurd moves. He streams on Twitch under the handle BearUNLV, and you can find him on that username on just about every social media out there. Bear, thanks for joining the show. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. In addition to Bear, we also have Milo Ocampo. He's the CEO of 8-Bit Esports, and he's currently a senior at UNLV studying mechanical engineering, but wrapping up, this is his final semester coming up. 8-Bit Esports is this relationship with UNLV. They're three-time Mountain West Esports champions and also organize community events around playing and watching esports. But as Milo graduates, 8-Bit Esports is also taking on an evolved role. Milo, thank you for joining the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about each's work in esports, but also how collegiate experience helped prep them for esports careers, hoping to inform the choices and the thoughts of either current students at colleges or the high schoolers who are listening to this show uh, and are thinking about how they want to approach a career in esports during their time in college. Bear, I want to start with you. You kept your branding with ULV in the title. Why did you make that choice? What did your time in college mean to you as you went off on this path down esports? Um, actually, uh, so for, I actually had my full name, uh, part of my Twitter handle for like, I think my first term on Twitter is like 2010 and then I, I changed it to, to my alias and then just added UNLV cause it was like, you know, a million other bears out there. And I was like, well, I'm going to UNLV for grad school. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep this as my thing. Cause one, I was just, I just, you know, and bears like my favorite animal. So I was like, I'll just use that. But then. I really enjoyed my time at UNLV as a grad student. I didn't go there undergrad, but uh, being there as a graduate student, it was really nice because the, the school is very. It it when I was there, the, it was like the 2000 between 2012 and 2015. It was very much a a commuter school. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it still is, and for the most part, but it really fit for for my schedule. And I really and I really enjoyed it. And there wasn't that much people that are out there, so I kept kept in my handle. There's still people that don't. Like whenever like I say hi on streams, they're like a noble of, and I'm like no, no, no it's, it's just it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just you University of Nevada Las Vegas. You can just say Bear. That's why it's all in all caps. But it's funny because like it's nice though because I'll get I'll get randomly tagged sometimes during sports when people are when you know is playing basketball or football. It's really funny. I get I'll get accidentally tagged by like ESPN. I'm like for like non esports things. I'm like oops. <laughs> so I think my name just comes up when you t- type in at UNLV. Um, right. But yeah, you definitely. Got that check definitely mark really, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's that's because of because um, yeah, I was working with uh, at the time. I think when Twitter was doing a lot of stuff, I was working with Panda Global, which was the esports team, and then also Smash GG as part of their like partnerships team. So it, and I was in like a bunch of articles talking about the Smash community and um, Evo, and which is the you know massive fighting game tournament in town here that happens every year, except this year because of COVID, but. Um, I think that was one of the reasons why I was was one of the people that were that were verified. 
but um but yeah no i i really enjoyed uh you know i think it's i think it's a great place for a lot of people to find their roots especially uh in their hobbies as well Oh, well, you certainly tied your branding to Unlove now, so that's uh, it's gonna be great. Yeah, it's in it's in every single one of my everything. It's on YouTube, Twitter, Switch, TikTok. I mean, Instagram. I I kept it everywhere. Just one because no one else uses it, so it's it's pretty unique. Um, and then it's it's much easier to find, especially when I like I I'll play online in different games. People will immediately find me because you you, know, you search my username. I'm the first person that show up. Definitely. I'm going to put University of Oregon in mine. It seems to work. I'm going to add it to to my little handle and hopefully maybe that'll drive some more traffic. I want to get tagged. Milo, yeah. <laughs> over to you. How have you seen 8-Bit Esports grow? Can you highlight a little bit about the relationship with UNLV and what the modern esports club at a university looks like from your perspective over the last uh, over your college career? So 8-Bit as a collegiate club started back in 2012, and that's when Riot announced their whole ULOL initiative. So the whole purpose of you know the club's existence was just because my brother and I, we had experience in running esports events like throughout middle school because we started running Melee events in like sixth grade. So what that looked like in at the beginning, like 2012 to I'd like to say 2018, it was all f- basically like a free-for-all anything anything went um unlv really didn't give us much attention or support for that matter but even even though they were aware that we existed and you know they they loved using our numbers um they didn't really support us because in the end we we didn't really need their support because esports was just so new and and you know emerging that the mentors that I had and the support that we that we as a club were getting came directly from Riot and Blizzard. So, you know, fast forward to 2018 to the present, um universities are taking a much more active role in structuring and providing mentorship, which is which I think is great because with that level of support and um administrative oversight there's less internal fighting there's less um confusion and there's more structure to like competitions between like other universities like the mountain west so it i've been fortunate enough to you know see collegiate grow from the grassroots anybody can do whatever they want and you know if it works it works go tell your friends and go tell the other universities if it doesn't work uh go tell the other universities um to now where everything is just trying to follow the patterns of traditional sports definitely i think that's a pretty common story across a lot of college campuses right now i mean i was at school for 2013 to 2017 and i couldn't knock on enough doors being like hey you guys have a league of legends club here do you do you want to do anything for them and just zero traction whatsoever and right after i graduated by 2018 they're official they're an official club they're getting some more support now this this winter they actually created an esports lounge with all these top of the line computers uh this really nice place it's basically just a land center in the heart of campus i was like it's crazy how quickly the attitudes of administrators have changed towards esports over the last few years 
basically the uh, class of or like the first gen officers from 2012 to 2016 um, they refer to themselves as like first generation officers and as the years progress collegiate's just going to grow because a lot of these first generation esports officers are taking on these administrative roles and you know supporting their collegiate organizations from a staff or faculty position which i think is great cuz um the person that's in charge of UCI esports she was a first generation officer with me and you know she's doing amazing things over there and growing the program yeah, absolutely. UCI Esports being one of the greatest North American examples of a college esports program. They're just uh, so successful and have supported esports for quite a long time. I highlighted them on this uh, feed just last week, did a program spotlight, the very first one, felt like a great start to guess. You look at the esports arena they have on campus there, you look at some of the scholarships they offer, some of the competitive success they found, 2018 League of Legends champions, and UCI is a, a school that I think a lot of schools are looking at and being like, oh, I'd love to do what they do. Bear, from your perspective, as you've now been out of school for a while, how do you think students should approach their esports career while they're still in school? What level of being part of a college program, but then also forging things on yourself, would you suggest to a prospective student, say a freshman who's recently entered school, COVID notwithstanding, uh, how would you guide them on their esports journey if their end game is a career in esports? Well, I mean, I, I would first of all recommend that they approach it with, uh, you know, understanding first it's your, it's your hobby. And uh, I mean, you can make it a career once once you start getting a footing but the the most important thing is, is just to you know get your foot in the door you know either be being playing or content creating um you know or joining your local club or even working with your local club or hosting events being a tournament organizer that's something that the route i went through was i was before i became more of a content uh, creator and player was i mostly did was a really bad player in smash brothers but i ended up just hosting my own tournaments because I felt like I could probably do a good of a job or if not better than other people. And then eventually kind of grew my repertoire from there. So, you know, everybody has their own different paths, you know, and it depends on what game you're doing. It also depends on the community. Um, but most important thing is to, to find, find your local scene in whatever game it is. And either that be, you know, at the time when I did it, it, you know, it was Facebook was the place where you've met people, but now it's, you know, you have to find your local discord. Uh, which I'm not sure if you have to explain what a Discord is, but it just just know it's it's a social media uh, messaging app that is basically a, a super. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a, I don't know how to best explain it, but it has different channels for different yeah. servers for different communities and different games and different areas. Um, yeah, but it's we're, but it's we're also on the esports network podcast. I I hope they they've experienced Discord at some level um, in the past. But yeah, it, it's hard to explain. It really is a weird platform. Yeah, but you have to really understand, know your community's talking and be and be involved because a lot of times, even at events, some people aren't that sociable, um, and that's just the nature of a lot of the people that you that are in esports. Is like it's very rare that anybody's extremely talkative. Most of the time, they're very talkative, you know, through their phones or through through a computer, less of like in a person event. Um, and I'm gonna um. I'm a mix introvert and extrovert, just depending on my mood. So like, 
you know, I can be quiet, <laughs> but also I can be really loud when it comes to at events. So it just really depends on like your sociability. But you know, the biggest thing is making friends, making connections, and kind of going from there. Um, you know, you're not gonna be the next huge time streamer like Ninja or Doctor Respect Day One. Like that takes years. A lot of those people have been doing content creation for years. Even myself, I'm not even I'm not even large. I'm really I'm really considered a smaller smaller growing streamer you know, even though i've been featured on on you know big platforms and i may seem like i have a pretty good influence on uh, in terms of impressions among across my social media uses but like even then it's still pretty difficult to break into the um the mainstream it's and i and i think it, a lot of people forget that like it's the top maybe honestly top five ten percent maybe even one percent of content creators really control a lot of the uh the money in terms of how, where they get sponsorships and whatnot um and a lot of that is you know it's normal it's like it's kind of very similar to how sports is you know you don't no one's no one's lebron james in a day um it takes a long time and it takes a lot of networking as well you just have to know the right people and also just kind of being be really involved and get your name out there definitely i saw a really interesting stat uh solely known which is one of the leading like twitch streaming analytics uh, companies, they posted that I think it's 90% of Twitch streamers are streaming to five or less viewers at the time, which is just this staggering number, uh, which illustrates how vast and how many streamers are on the Twitch pages. When you just start scrolling down, you can scroll down for a long time. And a lot of my friends have started being streamers. And it's really interesting to me. I just get the, the, because I follow them all. You gotta gotta follow your friends, but I get these notifications. They're going live uh, sporadically all the time. I'm curious, when did you start your streaming career? Did you start focusing on the community events first, or were you doing the two in tandem? Uh, for me personally, I actually was starting community events first. Um, I didn't actually get into streaming until honestly late late last year. A year it's actually a year from now, on uh, 2019s because um, one. Honestly, I was just very, I was very nervous. Uh, it's very, it's, it's, if you suffer from like anxiety or if you're like very, very camera shy, which, which is, I'm very camera shy, uh, at the, when in my beginning, I was really scared to even stream, uh, in 2015 and 2016 when I became more popular in the Smash scene. And a lot of people asked me, Hey, why don't you stream? Like, I'm a, one, I didn't have the equipment, but two, I was just like really, really, really just nervous. I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't know people would even care. Um, but like, and then, Late last year, uh, I, you know, I started competing more in Mario Kart, and I started. I really enjoy the game more than playing Smash because one, Smash is like, you know, there's a lot better player people to watch than than me. But like, I was really good at Mario Kart, and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, you know what, I might as well start streaming it. And then I just took the dive. At first, yeah, you're right. You do get one to six, up to ten viewers if not for the first few months it's really rare that you're going to pop off and get like a billion people watching you you know like it, it even now like it's been a year and um i've just been able to like peak and average like 40 50 viewers and that's like that's really that makes me happy because like a year and 10 times of growth that's that's pretty good <laughs> like like you know it, and it and it really just takes a lot of just consistency dedication um just because you'll have the way that their path is now is like there's a there's certain levels in Twitch where you know you you make the uh, the affiliate requirements, which is basically their system where you can make money, where people can donate, become a subscri subscriber, or to donate bits. 
Um, and then the the partner program, uh, it's a little bit harder. You need to average like, I believe, uh, actually I have the dashboard open up here. I'm gonna pull it up. It's, you have to average 70, 75, let me see here. Okay, yeah, it is, you have to stream for, and so within 30 days, you have to stream for 25 hours, stream on 12 different days and average 75 viewers um, per stream through through the or through the 30 days. So like, even for me, I've been streaming for a year more consistently, um, mostly part time, not full time. But um, I've met all the I met the stream hours and then different day hours. But in terms of average viewers, I've I've only been able to like get 30. So I'm not, I'm not even at that at that point where I'm in that partner program, so to speak. And and just so other people know, and I'm sure they know know how this works. It's like um, which partner you get a better, bigger percentage from when people subscribe or they donate bits versus when you're affiliate, you get uh Twitch takes a bigger portion from, from, uh, from people. If they, you know, if they pay $5, they'll usually take half. Whereas like partner, you get like, maybe I think it's like you get 55% or 60% just depends on the program. Definitely. It's a, it's a, it's a tough game out there. It's just hard to, to get the traction, but You've got a really unique offering being in Mario Kart. And I swear we're going to talk some more Mario Kart esports because I'm super curious about what that scene looks like right now and sort of how it's uh, how it's been developing. But Milo, because uh, I don't want to leave you out of the conversation here, I noticed that 8-Bit is expanding into Pro Rocket League. And that was the only game I've ever felt confident enough to open up a stream and put myself on. And after immediately tanking my rank almost an entire... Uh, from diamond down to platinum, I turned that stream off because, like Bear mentioned, it's nerve-wracking. It's horrible. Could not do it. Uh, every every aerial I ever tried, just completely the, the muscle memory left my body the second three people were watching me. So don't know how Twitch streamers do it. But I noticed that you're expanding to Rocket League in this new competitive structure that uh, Psyonix Epic Games has announced. What does those open ecosystems provide for esports organizations like 8-Bit, where here you're competing in Mountain West championships, and now Rocket League's new structure has all these different um, under-level competitions providing an on-ramp into pro esports. What do those open ecosystems provide to someone in your position with 8-Bit? It provides a seamless transition from being grassroots to actually being professional. And honestly, I'm much I'm hoping that a lot of the other publishers follow suit with Psionics because one of the biggest problems esports has faced in the last not, not even in the last like few years. One of the biggest problems esports has is a lack of narrative. And it and the reason why there's there's a narrative that is lacking is because rivalries don't exist anymore. Uh, the example that was given to me when this was brought to my attention was like 2012 to 2014, TSM versus CLG. That was like the biggest and most hype matches you could possibly watch regardless of game. TSM versus CLG. And then, you know, after two years, it was still just TSM versus CLG and we were sick of it. Now we don't have that because let's like League of Legends. There's only ten teams. Um, Smash, like it's it's at least I'm gonna talk like from Smash Four's perspective. There was um, it was always more often than not the same top eight. It gets boring with these open open tournaments that Psionics is starting with Rocket League. It provides the amateur and rookie 
pools to grow and these unknown orgs to to grow to becoming you know potentially the next TSM the next CLG the next cloud 9 and it gives more people access to you know the spotlight so i think it's i think these circuits or this style is really good and fortnite started doing the same thing too but i know almost nothing about fortnite so i can't go into that yeah battle royales are open qualifier but they almost have to be by default with just how much rng is inherently in a battle royale especially uh, a new one like Fortnite, where you're just like okay we have to make sure everyone has a chance at this because anything can happen on any game to your point on the rivalries i absolutely agree it's something that i really wish there were more of you think about the college world and how much collegiate athletics are driven by these rivalries the the in-state the out-of-state the conference rivalries and then same thing in pro sports as well i'd love for esports to get more of it but people are just so hesitant weirdly enough hesitant to talk shit to each other uh the only time and i'm always trying to to provoke it well on this show the only time i've had people actually talk shit was kent wakeford from uh gen g's co-founder and dan fight and the president of cloud nine it was right ahead of flashpoint <laughs> the new csgo league yeah and they went after each other and i was like this is my favorite thing first of all this is great content please by all means just tear into each other on this podcast but it also highlighted just how rare that's felt in the past. I, you just don't quite get enough of the the banter. We used to have so much, especially the fighting game community. The fighting game community used to have banter plenty. Uh, and I'd love to see more of that in esports because I think you're right. I think that really does provide a lot of the reasons why people watch uh, traditional sports and then why they also enjoy esports as well. Banter and shit talk was the foundation of 8-bit's growth in the early years. And <laughs> I, love I, I loved it. And I remember, like, um, I was I was doing a workshop at Riot with um, some other collegiate leaders. And we were talking about, like, organic growth. How do we grow our clubs? And I was the only one, you know, that said, endearing shit talk. Because if you can't... I mean, because if, if you can't like shit talk your friends um in a public space then you know the the atmosphere isn't as electrifying and you know that was obviously met with some some blank stares but you know i had the i had the data to back it up and of course that it it is a slippery slope because you have to know when to stop and you have to know when it you know it is borderline bullying but if you can if you can talk shit against your friends like in a private discord call it makes for good content like if you're streaming and of course, you know, you have to have that strong interpersonal relationship with them first, you know? Right. When you don't have that, it's toxicity. Exactly. And I think that's why a lot of people are scared because again, with the free, with, with the, uh, the lack of structure within um, collegiate esports, I don't, and, and you know, and honestly the rosters also keep switching because of the lack of structure. It's really hard to establish these narratives or, you know, establish shit talk and rivalries because, you know, that player might not be there next year. I remember during a Mountain West, uh, the first one ever, um, it was it was just UNLV versus Boise. And I told my teams, like, during the, during the interviews and during the, the photo shoots, I'm just like, guys, I know we can win. Talk shit, but don't get canceled. 
He's like, oh, and they're like, okay. So, and the best one was just like one of our supports from Overwatch. He was very charismatic guy. He was just like looking at the camera and he's going, Boise, boys easy. Yeah, free wins, free wins. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's good trash talk right there. Yeah. No, hey, you, you think about it, there's, there's absolutely ways to do it. It's just, yeah, don't devolve it into toxicity. And there's people who really don't draw that line. They're like, oh, I'm just bantering. It's like, no, you're being an asshole. You're not, yeah. you're not really bantering. You're, you're being an asshole. But things like that, too, it's, it's got to be tactful. But then also that relationship. Uh, and sometimes being in the organization thing, too, where you're like, hey, you play for Boise. I play for UNLV. We have a rivalry. We can we can banter here. That was the only time I got any traction at the University of Oregon trying to make them do more esports stuff was when I brought up the size of Washington and Oregon State's clubs. And I was like, hey, look how many people here. They have an official club at, up at UW. They have an official club over in Corvallis. Maybe we should do that. And that was the only thing that got administrators' attention. Nothing about the size of the industry, the growth, how many students are gamers. None of that really got anything. But when they heard that the rivals had clubs they were like ah we can't let them get ahead of us i was like wow this is really what drives this in college so so often exactly and it's it it was something that um unlv and unr tried to establish in the early years because whenever we had a homecoming match i think it's a homecoming match um unlv versus unr it would be called battle for the fremont cannon whichever football team won they'd get this giant cannon transferred to their university and then painted either red or blue depending on who won so when you know early years we we pitched that idea to riot and we said you know whoever wins we get a cannon minion they love the idea unr has never beaten us we don't have a 3d printer they still owe us a 3d printed cannon minion in red (laughs) and we're still waiting for it (laughs) that's hilarious that's amazing Oh, they gotta gotta get them a three day. Let them let them come over. Use your three D printer, make yourself a cannon, and then kick them off campus. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Bear. Let's talk some Mario Kart esports because I was completely unaware of this competitive scene and only got it through following you on Twitter and some of your social medias. And now I'm kind of addicted to it. I've been seeking out some more Mario Kart content, and I'm curious where you're at with Mario Kart Esports. How long have you been really involved in this competitive scene? Where's your rank right now? And what's something the game needs uh, to help it continue its growth and maybe become one of these esports we talk about uh, as a mainstream esport? Yeah, so uh, Mario Kart in in general, the competitive scene has been around for like over like 16 years or so. Um, I'd say the first time people started competing seriously like online and with like other folks is probably during mario kart ds and wii which is when the first time that they enabled online uh for mario kart itself um there's actually like different websites that people use um personally for me when i i always played mario kart when i was a kid like uh first mario kart in the 90s with super nintendo with my brothers like i would always it was my favorite game because it was the only game i could beat them in um because they'd beat me in fighting games and everything else, but Mario Kart, I kicked their ass, so I was like, yeah, I like this game a lot. Um, and I kept playing, every, I have purchased and I played every single uh, iteration. Uh, but for me personally, when I 
first like and this is something that's that's actually pretty normal in my opinion that happens to a lot of people when they first enter any kind of esports scene is it's 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 really nerve-wracking um getting into involved because it's like you don't know if you're good enough you don't know if you're if people are worth your time so it's like at first i was kind of shy to even like be involved in the competitive scene um if mario kart during my time even when i was became more prominent in smash so like when i was the esports uh manager at the uh uh, currently right now it's called the HyperX Esports Union Luxor. Um, I knew about uh, this online thing called Mario Kart Central. It's a, it's a it's a website that basically people have free fall tournaments and they have and but their mainstay is uh is, is six versus six, which is what this is which is like the competitive standard. So like free for all is mostly like a kind of like a side tournament. Like people really just do it for fun. Um, but teams is actually what what the big is what like the actual scene is about. Both in right now the the biggest mario kart competitive scenes is mario kart deluxe and also mario kart wii surprisingly um the reason why mario kart wii is really big is because uh people use an emulator um and then they'll just basically play mario kart wii through a, a it's not necessarily a mod it's more like a, a makeshift server that people will be able to play online so it's pretty pretty decent communities each one um the mario kart wii just had a world cup um, a few weeks ago, uh, where the I, I believe U.S. East won, I believe, or U.S. West. I forget. I think it was U.S. East. Yeah, U.S. East won. Um, and they had like U.S. East, U.S. West, like Europe, uh, Japan, Japan, U.K. I think they had. No, I think it was like Finland, U.K. So like they had a they had a, a big thing there. And like the way it works in a lot of six v six teams is like you'll have twelve races. Um, it's it's a in a, in a team format they don't they don't use like the team system they use like we'll have it be like a free-for-all race and then we'll have a a bot in discord that keeps track of the placing so we know like you know our team has you know by the end of these 12 races has uh 300 something points versus their two something you know so it just it keeps track of anyway scores um so it's it, but the reason why you don't use the team mode in mario Kart deluxe is because uh, they have team attack off, which we we want it to be on, so that way, like you can use certain items. Um, but yeah, like for me, so so going back to what, when I was an esports manager, uh, when I first was there, they they were really need, were in need of like new things, and so I told them, hey, like we should do Mario Kart. Um, they're actually extremely hesitant even doing it at first because one, they didn't have the switches; um, they only had PCs, so and and some PS4s and some Xboxes, so. I was basically telling them, hey, you need to purchase over $3,000 worth of equipment so we can host Mario Kart tournaments. And they kind of looked at me really weird. But it's actually their most successful nights now. Um, they've been running their, it's called Saturday Night Speedway. It runs usually every Saturday, depending on their schedule. Uh, it's been running a year or two years from from actually this weekend. It was like their first one that I, I, I when I was working there, we hosted it. It was actually like this Saturday. Um, but uh, it, it's it's free for all. So, it, but but that's more the reason why I did that is because it's more inviting to new new players. Because in in reality, like even when I first like kind of going back to like the competitive scene now, like six versus six is very daunting. Because you're like, wow, I need to find five other people, or I need to find a team that's looking for someone. That's 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 scary. Like I mean, if you talk to anybody looking for any teams, like it's always it's terrifying. You have to go talk to people like that's <laughs> like i don't, don't want to hate that talk. yeah like yeah like i just want to play so like in in everybody's first experience in, in any competitive game um and i, I, I is the in-game ranked mode so whatever that is so the first experience anybody has with mario kart is um is like uh is their 
online, regional, or worldwide races. So that's their first online experience. Um, and actually, uh, Nintendo's been more involved in the past year to put on these um, North America Opens, uh, which basically they use a tournament mode system in the game, which is considered inferior to the competitive community, but um, it's very popular for, for Nintendo to do because it, it's an easy way for them to host tournaments and award points to like the top eight. Um, and they've they've done it they've done monthly ones recently but they, they've but so far i think they have a they've ran over like four or five of them and then each day they have over four thousand people competing sometimes over eight thousand or ten thousand people competing so a lot of people still will still do these and you know it's free to enter and that's a big deal because you know a lot of those people don't really transfer into like the actual super serious competitive scene but there's a there's a bunch of good racers so it's uh and i've and i've competed in it before i've never been able to the top eight because a lot of times uh, you'll either get disconnected, then you get zero points, and or or you'll just get bad bad streak of luck, and that's happened to me before. But I've been able to consistently be in like the top thirty, top twenty of these, so it's, it's still pretty good out of like five thousand people. <laughs> but um, yeah, you take that all day long. Yeah, but um, coming to the the free fall format at the the esports arena, of uh, the reason why. Uh, and, and and when that first started, we get we got a lot of like these new people, and actually, uh, a really great thing is a, a group of players and started a, their own kind of team here in Vegas, based out of Vegas. It's called uh, Pirate Hackers, um, and they're they're a Mario Kart team, and they started because they met fellow good racers at uh, the the tournament Saturday Speedway and at the Luxor, and then decided like hey, we should form our own team and compete in this thing and do really well and they've they've been going 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 on for over a year uh my friend's a captain on it uh i'm actually part of the team as well uh as part of their like b team uh because i wasn't as active because i was more focused on content but i've been a little bit more active recently so i've been helping him compete in like scrimmages and there are weekly um tournament bouts that they have every sunday uh 66 bouts but yeah so so in in general it's been nice because you see a lot of growth um in both the i would say it's more like casual competitive what you see at saturday up until the finals and that's probably pretty competitive um but but i do think mario kart in general has has a capacity to become uh bigger not necessarily as big as league of legends in my opinion it's because you have any game that involves nintendo um is has a blocker not because nintendo will stop things per se it's just because it's it's always a little harder for people to do to basically make things big from with a Nintendo uh, IP, um, it was and I and I'm speaking from experience from working with Smash Brothers scene for over a decade. It's very hard, for, even for those folks, to host their big tournaments and grow the scene. Um, just because in the past there's been instances where, where you don't know if Nintendo will do something or not, um, but they've been pretty hands off recently with most things. So it's been kind of nice to see that. Nintendo is just aggressively does not support esports. Uh, I was well, th- well, big not necessarily. They don't. Well, uh, not that they say they don't support it. They just don't. There's not an incentive for them at the moment. Like sure. the thing is, it's like a lot of people forget. Like League of Legends, the reason why the Riot supports it is because that's their marketing campaign. Their League of Legends series, all that. That's 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 what they do for marketing. Where Grass Nintendo, they don't. They don't like their if they su- their support in esports. They're in either be in pricing or equipment or whatever like they're gonna sell mario kart copies and smash brother copies and 
no matter what, like just people are just going to buy it just because that's just the nature of it, you know? So it's, and the competitive community for each of these games are a very small sliver from based on the whole, like for example, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is the best selling game on the Nintendo Switch. It is, it, it surpasses any game. And there's over, I think like 30 million copies sold of that game. But like maybe out of all of those 30 million, maybe 5,000 or maybe 10,000 or or I'm not, probably say like ten to twenty thousand are competitive people. The rest are, you know, your friends that just want to play while they're drunk, or or they may play enough, feel like they're good enough where they go to a tournament. So like for them, it's much different. And same with Smash Brothers. Just the competitive scene is a, is a small sliver of the whole that just want to play and have fun with their friends. It's just never been the the main focus of Nintendo, like you said. How Riot Games relies on League of Legends esports to. Uh, drive skin sales and quite a few other Fortnite's another great example of a game that is literally just using Fortnite esports as a marketing tool having a guy like Booga get a three million dollar prize pool and getting all the headlines that comes with that is their whole goal they're taking a taking a loss on it and that's just never been Nintendo's focus but I know it has been a headache for a lot of people in the Smash community for quite a long time as uh, they yeah. just don't get the institutional support same with like Melee was the the most notable where it was just like we have this thriving seed for a longer period of time than almost any other esport out there and we've done it without any developer support which is just pretty wild uh similar thing to counter-strike i suppose as well with valve just being hands off there all right mm. i want to wrap this up uh with you both but i'm gonna wrap up on a final question something that's been in the news a little bit lately and we're gonna be publishing um this show the week of the 21st 22nd so it'll be a little outdated but just yesterday on the college esports quick takes that's tuesday the 18th i covered uh, a bunch of new moves happening in esports degrees uh both in the uk actually but two new universities partnering with twitch and with TeamSpeak to help build out their esports degree programs that is two people who uh, have been involved in esports while being in college but not taking esports degrees i mean esports degrees didn't even exist until a few years ago and they're becoming more common stateside uh milo starting with you what's your opinion on esports degrees and these dedicated pathways uh to get careers in esports do you think they're necessary uh do you think they're helpful are you happy to see them what's your opinion on them so unlv does have an esports do that. Or, th- th- we do have esports classes, and I help design it essentially. But it's it's more entrepreneurial based than a course that actually promises you know a job in esports afterwards. I I think I can confidently say, even though my voice and my hesitation doesn't represent that, <laughs> is uh esports degrees are useless, not because. I want to ruin anybody's dream, but because as someone that has been thrown into the esports industry and has basically carved my own pathway to being in this industry, I al- I took engineering up as my fallback. It was always engineering has always been my fallback. If esports failed, I'd just be a sad engineer. That's what, you know, that's that's how I got through, you know, this this whole degree thing. Sad um, but rich. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sad but comfortable, not rich. But um, 
esports so the reason why i say that these 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 degree paths are useless is because esports is so unique in the sense where we need something or the industry needs something that every other degree provides and the um the vast skill set that people can bring in whether they're like history majors or liberal arts majors or um, psychology majors or whatever or fine arts majors even all of that applies to esports so my my advice to everyone that would ask me this question is find a fallback because esports is even though esports is very open and very welcoming as bear said earlier it's incredibly hard to get your break through it and you do need something special about you to even get noticed or recognized um, to work for Riot and Blizzard, and that's and you know I'm speaking from someone that's worked for Riot and Blizzard, and I can tell you right now if you know you, you put esports degree in your resume, it's not gonna shine well. What will shine well is I helped grow my esports program. I ran this grassroots event. I was able to solve these problems through critical thinking and open communication. Because that's what we need. Everything else can be taught and everything else can be learned from something else. I agree. I agree with your take. And I think there's there's a level like esports classes are great getting a baseline of it. It's when you dedicate, okay, I'm going to take 60 credit hours all focused on esports. I'm like, what the hell are you even learning at that point? Exactly. Like just join your club or join your collegiate club if you don't have one. Start it. Um, there's so many opportunities out there to you know volunteer and to learn about esports and the only useful thing and again talking from personal experience the only useful classes that i i see that work in esports are the entrepreneurial classes you know learn to be self-accountable self-reliant and um and a self-starter because that those are the three biggest things that you need to you know make it in this industry yeah. And esports really does reward people who are self-starters who find an opportunity like that. There's just not that many established places besides your riots and your blizzards. Being a self-starter is really uh, how people have succeeded in this industry for quite a long time. Exactly. Sarah, what about you? You went to grad school at UNLV. You've been out of school for a little while. Uh, now that you hear about these esports degrees popping up, where what's your take? It's a nice... If you, if you, in my opinion, if you choose to have an esports degree as your degree... I would uh, advise to have that as your second dual degree or having that being your like minor. I wouldn't advise that as your only degree because one, um, the industry is, still doesn't know what they're doing sometimes. There's a lot of people that like, or even people that, that you work with that think they're doing what they're doing. They're, they're still figuring things out. Um, I have uh, just, just my background, I have an undergrad in business administration and a grad and a grad degree in, in public administration. So I'm, I've worked in both the private sector and the public sector. And, you know, I've made my living through esports for the past basically four years because of my experience in other industries and then bringing those towards esports uh, because I had a really strong passion for it. And, you know, and I was able to learn a lot of the normal things that you do in the workplace and or in a in an industry and bring that to to my esports career um i feel like personally for me you're not you're you're gonna be you may put yourself in a disadvantage if you have that be your only degree and i feel like if you have it as a minor or a dual degree 
it'd be great, you know. Um, but I just be very wary of it, uh, especially because you might be even be taught by people that don't know what they're doing. So, like that's what the like, other like I don't know which professors are gonna be like. <laughs> actually tell you smart you know things they're gonna do they're probably gonna reach out to people like milo and myself to bring them in their classes to talk about esports and then it's like well you can just come to our streams and teach you for free <laughs> like, exactly like like i don't have to go to school for that you can just ask me questions like people always ask me questions all the time via email or my discord or, or on the stream they just ask me and i'm if I see it and I have time, I usually explain to people. Even at events, like I'll tell people, like they'll come up to me, and be like, "Hey, how do I get, how do I get involved in esports?" I'm like, "Man, you just, sometimes you just gotta volunteer and just be involved and just get your name out there." And, and you know, and a lot of it, a lot of what degrees these degrees probably won't teach you is that um, luck is a huge deal in esports. Um, luck and timing, and you can work as hard as you want, as hard as you can, and I'm sure they'll probably give people like a a slope that they see, but really it's a J curve um, in the esports career. Um, I mean, it's, J curve is exactly what I'm describing it. You know, it's you start and then you dip, and then you're just waiting for that time where you know you get your big break. And like a great example is Ninja, uh, and the reason why I mention him because one people know his name, and two, like they're like, yeah, well he's good now, but like when he first started streaming in the late thousands, early you know 2011s, like late 2010s like he subbed like he only had like a 100 views for, and then he got 500 views in 2011 and then he kept he just kept streaming and kept doing well and and his really big break wasn't really until um until he started getting involved in Fortnite and then also the biggest luck he had was was Drake wanting to play with him you know and then that exploded his stream and then from there kind of he just, you know he he and if you and I and I was and I saw his streams before and I saw him like it wasn't like a huge super fan but i at least knew of him and you know his brand was pretty pretty similar like nothing really changed beyond what he was doing the only difference is he got a really lucky good break and he took advantage of it and that's a huge thing and even for me myself like like uh i'm not the best tournament organizer in the world i'm not the best mario kart player in the world but you know i had a few lucky breaks and i took full advantage of it because you know that's what you do in this world you you, you have to take advantage of breaks you get like you know, uh, uh, I as soon as I give an opportunity to be a tournament director for Genesis and Evo and CEO and the Common Breaker and all these big fighting events, I took full advantage of it because you know the, those those event directors really wanted were seeking someone that they trusted and wanted and had opportunities. So I definitely wanted to go in there and even with like Mario Kart, like um, you know, I, I'm definitely not the best Mario Kart player in the world, but Right now, I'm one of the most known, I guess, because people have been featured on multiple different things in Kotaku and ESPN because of opportunities that I decided to seek for. And and I think that's also very important to note is that you you need to also make sure you're in those those correct timing and you can't control luck, but you can you can you can at least try to figure out a way that you can be in those positions where you have you get a lucky break. Right, position yourself in an esport where. It's popular, like you mentioned, 30 million copies sold. People aren't as familiar with the competitive game, but when you see a highlight, uh, like one of your clips, they're like, oh, wow, that's incredible. Like, I can tell how good that guy is at that, and it's not a place where you're in war zone competing against you know, thousands of other Twitch streamers, and maybe yeah. there's a it's a smaller community. Maybe the, the cap isn't as high. The, the top Mario Kart streamer doesn't have as many as the top Warzone streamer. But you might be able to differentiate yourself, position yourself in a place where you can land those breaks. I absolutely yeah. agree. I think that's 
uh, yeah exactly and, sure. and like even and even now like like personally for me like there's been times where even from my plays and from my content i produce and being consistent with it it's been to the point where it's been shared to um um like uh different comedians because a bunch of comedians now play mario kart because you know they're in quarantine so i had the opportunity to play uh mario kart with like ben schwartz and aaron hansen from game grumps and and we've been you know just we talk together and we're, we're we're having fun and i don't know if you know who ben schwartz is but he's He's, he's a yeah, middle ditch and Swartz, the, yeah. the yeah. improv, yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so like, so yeah, and they're, and they're 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 hilarious, and I've been able to play with him and Amir from uh, previously from Jake and Amir, and then they've and these guys, you know, these guys, they're the reason why they know of me is because someone linked them my content, and then and then they're like, hey, you're really good. Can you teach us how to play? And then I was able to give them tips, and we we play from time to time. Obviously, when you get a break like that, you try your best to want to to respect their, you know. The, their brand as well because you know they have their own brand but also just you know to you know it's great because you were able to be friends with these folks as well because you know it, at a time like it's nice that someone wants to play games with me you know it doesn't they don't have to be a celebrity but even then it's just it's just nice that you get that um you get you get breaks like that and like you know that's not my that's not my drake moment i'm not looking for that but you know if that does happen one day like in becomes you know that happens for me i'm like oh yeah that's cool <laughs> like you know it could happen to anybody to be honest really in any game it doesn't have to be in fortnite you can be be whatever whatever you're most passionate about you know that's what that's and that's kind of like i, I guess we're, we're closing it up but one of my final words is i think just focus on whatever you're most passionate about you know you no one wants to see someone as kind of half-assing um streaming or playing a game that they don't really like you know if you don't like a game just don't play it like no one no one, no one will stick around if they, they can tell you know especially when you're creating content for something they can tell if you're not enjoying it um and people like watching people having a good time like it's just that's just that's just when they consume content that's what they want to see especially when it comes to live content yeah that's been the success of fall guys right there it's a bunch of people it's not a game that's particularly intense but it's enjoyable to watch and people are having fun playing it and that's just that at its core has created just this massive amount of viewers for for all these fall guys events so yeah uh, even yeah, even today, uh, like Tim the Tantman, he's a he's a huge normal streamer and 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 first person shooters, but he's been playing Fall Guys for the past week and he never was able to win, but he finally won one today and he peaked over, he peaked at three hundred and forty two thousand people watching him get one one win in Fall Guys and he had an average stream of like two hundred nine thousand people and basically people watched him for at least like an hour, which is what the average is. Which is like, which is wild. Like, like this guy, he wasn't even good at the game, but he was just, right. you know, he was notable enough, and he was playing a game, and people got interested in, it. and that like you had over three hundred forty thousand people watching him, finally get a win, and that happened today, which is uh, Wednesday, August nineteenth. So I'm sure he'll probably win another one by the time this gets aired. But um, you know, I hope that's, so. That's just, uh, for Tim's that's sake, just, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> but but in general, like that's just that's just the that's that's just you know the content that that's created and it's and more importantly the, the passion that was that was shown and people could relate to that passion. Definitely. Speaking of gamers that really had their big break, he used to stream World of Warcraft back in the day, and he's one of the mini streamers that that had that break um, with Fortnite specifically, and then Ninja being a big one streaming with. Uh, stream with drake but just the the fortnite craze raised all these guys tim tifu lupo uh courage even to, to these extra levels just with how big fortnite is and that's 
you know, that's going to keep happening. Fall Guys has sort of focused on a lot of the the mainstreamers, but we're going to see more and more people who who pop up and are like, wow, that was that person came out of nowhere. It's just about positioning yourself and hoping you get lucky, like you mentioned. So yeah, want to wrap up the show. Uh, follow Bear, UNLV, Twitch, social media, all the good channels. Follow 8-Bit Esports. Follow Milo. I'll link their social medias in the bio of this podcast if you want to stay up to date. Uh, anything you guys want to plug? Bear, do you got any uh, anything else? Is this aired a local scene or, or everybody? I was just curious. I forgot where it airs. Uh, audience is pretty, it's North America heavy, uh, but it's not okay. local. Well, um, I would just say is, is, you know, support, support your local streamers and people that, you know, that are trying to grow and, and you know, you can, you can, you can find me in all my socials and I appreciate any hellos. Um, but you know, if you, you see someone with a lot of passion, a lot of, um, possibilities, you know, s- somehow helping them really goes a long way. Um, even a little bit counts like. Just yeah, just making sure that you know sharing their content is a big thing as well. Support your smaller streamers, baby. The the Tims and the Ninjas of the world got plenty of people sharing their content. Support your smaller streamers. Also support your new esports organizations. Milo, congrats on almost graduating, and congrats on taking eight bit from its college club to a real big organization with your rocket league entrance what do you want people looking out for on the 8-bit side or on your personal social channels yeah just follow 8-bit socials 8-bit underscore esports and i'm sure it's 8-bit esports on the other socials too but uh, most importantly support your collegiate organizations because that's where you're going to find the most opportunity and the most success because these collegiate organizations do have a direct connection to the publishers that you that people like so badly want to work for so volunteer support them attend their viewing parties support your local land centers all that good stuff and your and your small streamers you're gonna make better connections in person than you will online that's just true you know we've all met a lot of great people online but it's uh it's the meeting in person the in-person events that really hammers those connections in so if you're debating streaming it's great you should stream if you want to but also be involved with your local community events because like you mentioned milo those are where you're really going to meet the people figure out the pathways that you want to be on eventually so milo bear thank you so much for joining the show this was another episode of the esports network podcast and of the college esports quick take i hope you all enjoyed the show